0: The key to success as far as my business development was that I knew what I was talking about operationally, that I could have that conversation with an owner and anticipate a legal issue or anticipate a financing issue or whatever it might have been. Because I've had the perspective of being a lawyer, being a borrower, being a lender, being a landlord, being a tenant, doing all the different things along the way and bringing that, you know, 360 degree matter of fact, like, hey, if you read that lease, you will find this
1: welcome you are listening to the hero of the hour podcast the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands through expert interviews with decades of experience this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything-is-possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go.
2: Today, we have David Kirschenbaum joining us. David, a seasoned executive with over 30 years of experience in guiding growth-oriented businesses, business development, and operations asset management, is here to share his remarkable career journey and his role as a connector in the business world. In this conversation, Mark and David delve deep into David's definition of heroes and the influential figures who have shaped his professional life. David shares valuable lessons he has learned from his mentors and how their guidance has influenced his approach to business. Their insights provide a glimpse into the power of mentorship and the profound impact it can have on one's career. As the self-proclaimed connector-in-chief, David's vast network and resourcefulness have played a significant role in his success. He emphasizes the importance of building a functional network and explains how he leverages it to create valuable connections for himself and his clients. Whether it's introductions to potential investors or strategic partnerships, David's network is a powerful asset that he utilizes to drive growth and opportunity. But it doesn't stop there. Comedy and storytelling also take center stage in this conversation. David shares how he incorporates humor into his professional life, using it as a tool to build rapport, ease conversations, and connect with people on a deeper level. His insights highlight the power of storytelling and the impact it can have in establishing meaningful connections. Join us on this enlightening episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast as we delve into David Kirschenbaum's remarkable journey, his expertise in connecting businesses, and his unique approach to success.
3: Welcome, everybody. It's Mark Murphy, founder and CEO of Northeast Private Private Client Group, and author of my third book, The Ultimate Investment, which is number one on Amazon. And uh, welcome to the Hero of the Hour podcast, David Kirschenbaum. So happy to have you here today.
0: I am happy to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity, and uh, I'm thrilled. I, I meet a lot of people, and uh, you are one gem of a person who I'm so grateful I've met.
3: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let my mother know that. So I'll tell her there's two of the two of you, you and her, that uh, believe that. But uh, but but ha- having said that, I, I always like to start the podcast by talking about. Uh, I only bring people here, David, who are heroes to me, and or, or personal heroes, or or heroes to other people. Who are some of your heroes, or how do you describe a hero? I don't think necessarily
0: as much uh, of heroes. I mean, obviously, as a kid growing up, I had uh, I had sports heroes. I grew up in in your neck of the woods, and one of my heroes was Thurman Munson, um, and I just loved the way he played baseball. He had an unfortunate ending, um, and you know there were these sports folks a long a long time. But I would say that just as I've matured, uh, I was lucky enough to marry into a phenomenal family. And my father-in-law was uh, definitely one of my heroes. He uh, was someone who literally started in the shipping department or the boxing department or something uh, of this company in Aurora, Illinois, worked his way up to ultimately be the president uh, of that company and then um, leapfrogged over. Everyone else in the company, because they were bought by a, a larger conglomerate, and he jumped to be the CEO of the conglomerate, and he just he taught me a lot of phenomenal business lessons along the way. And then I've been able to, over time, uh, develop a series of mentors that have been really helpful to me. I call it a personal board of directors. So I have a web of people that I go to for advice. For just consideration, and uh, um, I think it's really important to have, and I think you're you're quickly becoming a person that uh, may fit in that uh, Mount Rushmore like category of folks that I would go to for certain assistance
3: you know, i I you know, podcast only keeps people's attention for so long. So I was going to read your resume, but it would take forty five minutes to read your resume. But just a few highlights, Besides your undergraduate degree at Emory, you've got your j d and your MBA at north MBA at Northwestern. Uh, you've been adjunct pro- professor at Northwestern. Uh, started your career as a real estate attorney, but you've been the CEO of of a number of ventures, and now an executive coach to some of the some of the wealthiest people in America. Um, I'd love to start first by talking about. A lot of people have heard of Tiger Twenty One, but most people and a lot of people watching this have not. And I think that Tiger 21 could be one of the most exciting things I've seen in the entrepreneurial space to create a mastermind of, 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 of some really incredible people. How would you get involved in Tiger 21 and what is Tiger 21?
0: I got involved about three years ago. So Tiger 21 is about a 23, 24-year-old organization founded out of New York. And founded by a guy named Michael Sonnenfeld, who had a series of very successful exits from the real estate developments and businesses and such. And I believe he might have been a YPO member, but uh, if you're familiar with either YPO or Vistage, Tiger is a version of that peer to peer learning organization, but the focus is uh, more or less on successful entrepreneurs who have either. Um, sold businesses or about to sold businesses and have accumulated a significant amount of wealth and find that uh, it's easier to discuss topics uh, around wealth uh, and business um, with folks who have walked in those shoes before. So in effect, it creates... So Tiger 21 is an international organization. There's about 100 groups worldwide, mostly in the United States, We meet in groups of 15. I manage two groups. The title I have is chair. Um, And we meet on a monthly basis to talk about issues of common concern, many of which have to do with wealth, family office formation, things like how do you talk to your kids about money, uh, tax efficiency. So a lot of the things that you you cover on a one-on-one basis in your practice, because I know you have an extremely successful practice and you manage billions of dollars on behalf of a, a number of successful entrepreneurs. And most of the entrepreneurs I deal with in Tiger 21 have someone like you that they deal with on a regular basis, but they may not want to bring up with you certain topics which can be discussed under the cone of silence and the confidentiality that a Tiger 21 group affords. And so part of it, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about networks But a friend of mine who manages three Tiger Groups, two in Chicago and one in a family office setting, um, was asked to find someone who had the Rolodex, had the skills, et cetera, to potentially manage one Tiger Group. And I got involved uh, then and uh, has since added a second Tiger Group to my portfolio. By
3: the way, everybody who I've met who knows you, you're known by the following phrase, David Kirschenbaum is the connector in chief. Uh, I, I I can't think of a cooler title. I think that's cooler than all the CEO titles you've had, and all the uh, all the other grand Puba, everything else. The connector in chief to me is is the shit. So uh, I'd love to talk about how the, the the connector in chief, what the connector in chief, and why why you're known, why you're known as the connector in chief. Well, been um, it's been an interesting uh, forty
0: years in business, something along those lines. And one of the jokes I use is that I've pivoted more times than like LeBron James, just because <laughs> things, things happen along the way that you, you don't have an expectation. And my career has been extremely nonlinear. I have spent years and years and years just creating a large network um, in a number of different functional areas, some obviously personal. But, you know, I've had uh, occasion to be involved with real estate, with law, with venture capital, with private equity, with private lending, with a number of different industries, cannabis, healthy food, um, real estate, technology. And I've just been really, really assiduous in my uh, desire to just kind of build not only a large network, but just a functional network, a network of, you know, resources, that I can offer not only to myself and my own business, but also to my clients, my friends, etc. And, you know, just this morning, as an example, I was speaking with someone who's a prospective client for my business. And she is a healthy food entrepreneur, early stage, young, and is producing her product out of Africa. And it just so happens that I have a couple, one mentor and one contact in the VC world who might be able to help her in her endeavors. And for a long period of time, you know, I would just say, oh, let me introduce you to X and Y. And I think like you, because you've made some really kind introductions for me, both with, with regard to Tiger 21 and just uh, for Mead Co. as well. I, I don't do it willy nilly. I, I do it purposefully and with the hope that both parties will benefit. From an introduction, so you know, I've I've literally made a career out of it, and then you know, kind of as I've gotten further and further into my career, I realized that I think this comes out of Seinfeld, uh, where you know my my network it's gold, Jerry, it's gold. uh, (laughs) My my network is gold, and you know, I, I I jokingly and we've talked about this, I jokingly say that I lead a slumdog millionaire lifestyle, where the one person I need to know is the one person I actually know, and I put them together. And I've been able to, you know, come up with some crazy results by just having cultivated a network and then taking care of it over time.
3: I mean, and if you're, when, you, when you're Jewish, I, I, they refer to you as a rabbi. If you were Italian, that you'd be a consigliere. You'd be, uh, I, I mean, but as I've gotten to know you, that's what I would say. If there's one guy you need to know, it's you. And I think that's, uh, I, I can see why that you've been so tremendously successful you know, being able to do that because that service is invaluable. And that thought process is invaluable, particularly to entrepreneurs who oftentimes are so in the weeds of their own business that they have no, they've not had the time to go do the things that you've been able to do. So what a powerful combination that is. The The other thing that I don't know if it's going to come off in this podcast or not, probably because I'm a, I'm, because I'm a, I'm not a good enough, straight man for you, but I will tell you that, uh, you're one of the few, there's a lot of funny people out there, but I I actually think you're one of the few people that could actually have made a living as a comedian if you put as much time into, into comedy as you do into your businesses. D- tell me, how how does comedy play a role in your life? How does it play a role in your business?
0: Um, well, I, I am the king of dad jokes. Just ask my three <laughs> children. Um, who are- Quite sick of my jokes, you know. It's just, uh, you know, I, 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 um, I've used um comedy and storytelling to 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 good effect over time. I think, um, you know, using comedy, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no Jerry Seinfeld. I'm just, you know, like when you were giving my uh, my quick bio before, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of stock jokes that I've used over and over again, but because I meet so many different people. You know, I can tell them over and over again. And, you know, so like as an example, when you said about my educational background, I jokingly say that I have more degrees than a thermometer. And, you know, that is an old joke that I recycled out of a 1950s movie. But I remember it. It's funny. And it's applicable because I have way too much education for my own good, having finished 22 grades. So, and then just storytelling, and I think you know you've also done this. I don't know if you want to call it hero stories. I know in in connection with some of my interviewing for for positions over time, I've hired a lot of people, but I've also had occasion to uh, apply for a number of jobs, senior level jobs at at a number of different companies over time. And one of the things I was able to develop uh, alongside of my resume was something called hero stories, which is just you know a little fact pattern. Um, that I was able to use effectively in, in the context of, of an interview. So I'm not really answering your question and I'm not really being terribly funny as relates to just, you know, the comedy. But if I am able to see that there's a way to loosen up the conversation and just get people more comfortable from a personality, because I think it's really important that that people are real when they're conversing with folks and part of what i'm doing is being a little cynical and you know a little uh you know just uh comedic when 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 appropriate and uh it's it's worked to great effect
3: well i've seen you use it as not only a weapon but i've i've seen it's it's also being you're also a great listener so you react to people and your responses are just spot on that that is apropos at every time i'm i i find myself trying to do a little of that and you just in this politically correct world, you hope uh, you know something that was funny three years ago may may be verboten right now, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and
3: that's and one of
0: the things we've talked about is you know I've I've taught a class on on networking and business development, both at law schools, colleges, business schools, at law firms, accounting firms, and the like. And one of the cardinal rules in there is don't talk about politics because you just don't know who you're going to offend and you have a 50 50 chance of offending someone. And I've learned that lesson the hard way by assuming that someone was, you know, one political camp, and it turns out that they were, you know, exactly the opposite. And uh, that leads to uh, loss of business, embarrassment, and uh, a little bit of humiliation while you're at it. So uh, I, I'm very careful in terms of the political angle, especially in in today's Highly partisan times.
3: You know, I, I've I've actually tried to serve my state and serve my country politically by being part of transition teams of governors and other things like that. And I've actually lost business as a result of that, where people thought me I was associated with the governor or the candidate um, when I was just doing a public service, trying to make the the, the state a better place to to, to be in. And uh, it's amazing how how uh, electrically charged this is and. I mean, it is clearly the third rail at, at at this point. You know, before I move on from Tiger 21, I, I just want to let anybody know that's watching this, that I am, my intention is to become a Tiger 21 member myself. And I think for anybody in the ultra high net worth space, I think it's something that you should at least explore in that. I, I think that I don't think there's a better place for a think tank, uh, than Tiger 21 and seeing some of the people and getting a chance to meet David, uh, to me is, is, uh, would allow, I think, everybody to take what they are doing and put it on steroids. Not only their thought process, their business, their family culture, and I am just become such a proponent of what you're doing in a Tiger 21. But having said that is, I also see as, as, a, as of this taping, there's a couple of banks that have gone under. You know, we are likely heading into a, a recession, either a deep one or a, or a mild one. Many think we're already in there. But for entrepreneurial people, it's getting harder and harder to get financing. And I know uh, about three or four years ago, five years ago, you founded a company, Meadco, which has really helped helped uh, entrepreneurs get financing. Tell people a little bit about that because I think there's a great deal of interest in that, okay. Well, let me just go back to something
0: you said about tiger twenty one before I address that question. And yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think you know, regardless of the you know kind of upcoming whether we do go into a recession, I mean, I hope we don't have a default um, over the debt ceiling and those sorts of things. I have been, you know, what I've, I think I told you off off camera is I, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I found it in Tiger 21. And I think that that's true of a lot of the members. Uh, so there's about 1,250 members nationwide at, at at current. It's growing now internationally uh, across these 100 groups. And it does afford a person the luxury of to, you know, have an ability to speak about issues to solve problems and to get the perspective of folks Uh, i mean one of the other things that that you talked about earlier you know your question about heroes is like i think and this is probably true in your in your job as well is like i am truly inspired in in the tiger 21 sphere of just you know pretty much everyone in my two groups and i think system-wide is an entrepreneur who started with nothing and you know found a way in this world to really succeed and really achieve the American dream as relates to, you know, uh, at least, uh, you know, their bank accounts. Um, and so the minimum net worth uh, is is $20 million in investable assets. But, you know, the average across the system is about $120 million, And that sounds like a daunting amount of money. Uh, and it is. But you're really in the group setting. You're really surrounded by folks who are humble. Earnest, hardworking, smart, disciplined, and you know, it's so one of the inspirations for me, and one of the reasons I love being around it, is because of that thread of entrepreneurism that runs through, or entrepreneurship that runs through every one of our members. Uh, But thanks for bringing that up. I would say, in terms of in terms of the finance world, yeah, I think we are, you know, going back to the recession. I think with what we've seen. Uh, certainly, in the last two months, um, with regard to a meltdown of some of these smaller banks, um, that capital is becoming much more difficult uh, to come by. Uh, certainly, from a debt perspective, we've had a series of uh, rate, rate rate increases, so that you know the Fed rate is significantly higher than it was you know a year or two ago, and. Um, you know, you almost have a perfect storm of why banks will say no. And one of the, it's kind of a joke or tagline that I've been using lately is banks will give you money just exactly when you don't need it. So you're seeing, you know, these underwriting uh, standards become so impossible that more and more folks are are forced into the the world I live in, which is the venture debt world. So whether you're talking about cannabis, which you know, by definition, because it's federally illegal and you can't bank to early stage companies that are still burning through capital and haven't quite gotten to the point of profitability or break-even, that's a much harder credit. So I know one of the things, the the, the terminology I use is it's called storied credits. And there, there's a story why you can't get credit at the bank. And you know, my goal within Meadco is to Work with these entrepreneurs across a number of different industries to get them in effect a bridge from their hopes and aspirations to grow a business to uh, a point where they can walk into the bank and the bank would say, oh, now that you're at profitability and now that your sales are X million or Y million, now I will deal with you. Um and make you a loan. So really, that's the that's the service that, for the most part, as a I'm an Illinois loan broker and an Illinois business broker that I'm providing uh, to help people. But you know, going back to the point you made before about you know connectivity and my network, I'm hopefully not only bringing them access to capital, but advisory services just you know through my own experience, whether as a lawyer, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a venture back startup, those sorts of things. And then my network. Hey, could you use someone in Africa? Hey, can you use someone who does, you know, sales, marketing, accounting, legal, etc.? That hopefully I'm offering a resource-rich environment to folks who come to me for money, but then find that I can provide other services that surround the money. Well,
3: wow, that's uh, I, I think that's powerful, and I, and I think that there are an awful lot of companies that think they're going to be using a traditional bank right now, or that's their plan. And they are going to be in for a rude awakening, you know. Here in the coming months, I'm already starting to see people that are getting some outright nos, or something that should have been done in 30 or 60 days is now 125 or 140 days out, and they're still waiting for an answer. And and you know, every day it looks a little bit more grim.
0: Yeah, and and to that and to that point, before you ask that question, I mean, that's one of the reasons why venture debt. I mean, I've got some lenders in certain instances that can make a decision and fund inside of a week or two, where when you start dealing with the, you know, larger financial institutions, there's so many checks and balances, which is fine. And underwriting is underwriting, but it goes through so many steps. It takes so long that folks who need money today, you know, one of the things that that I talk about um, i there, there's a scenario, and, and you cussed first on this uh, on this <laughs> podcast, so I feel I can do it as well. Um, I mean, I talked with someone just this morning who's who's got a nice little business, uh, it's a minority business on the East Coast, uh, food product, healthy food product, and they white label this particular product, and they typically get an order uh, for white label of one container full and yesterday or last week they got one for eight containers full so without access to capital and without a big bank account they have what i call the oh shit problem which is oh shit i got this great order but i don't have the money to do it um i work with a lot of folks who, who suffer from the oh shit problem which is a good problem because you have a you have a purchase order but you don't have the money to make it to make it happen and then you know now The clock is ticking because whether it's Walmart or Target or, you know, whoever it might be on the Kroger on the other end of that purchase order, they're expecting that you're going to perform and that you have the capital to be able to do it. And in a lot of cases, when someone's overwhelmed by an order such as the one I mentioned, you really got to figure it out quickly. And friends and family don't always work. And if you don't have access to a bank line or, you know, a venture debt facility,
3: then you're screwed you know i have two kids at the kelly business school at in indiana and they had this project when they were entering the kelly business school where they gave you $10,000 and they gave you some real companies but they dressed them up so they made it so it was hard to know who it was made them fictitious and to get an A you had to have $35,000 at the end of the sem- at the end of the the semester end of the end of the course with, you know taking your and you can invest it any way you wanted but what i loved about it was with every company once you saw the video on the company before you invested in it they said, and remember, 95% of all private equity companies go bankrupt. <laughs> and that was I the think, they ended every that video happened. like that. And right. so, and, or, or had, you know, so, some event like that. And what was interesting about that is it's oftentimes not that the p- people aren't smart. They're certainly smart. It's not that their product or service isn't great. It's usually great. It's that they usually didn't execute by having somebody like you on that team to help, help them execute. That, that's probably the biggest cause of failure in, of these companies.
0: Right. And and, I, and and my wife and I share a bunch of different board seats, um, which is nice. We work not only, you know, with, within Meadco to help them from a financing perspective, but at times we'll work uh, on an advisory basis. And it is, you're right, it's critically important that someone have access to, I mean, I'm older, but, you know, an adult who's been through the, you know, I I think one of the things, one of the most valuable lessons to me and one of the things that I advise, I do a lot of mentoring. You know, I just recently had occasion to uh, Michael Milken came to talk to some of my Tiger 21 guys and it was, it was phenomenal. And he was just kind of talking about the fact that like 70% of wall street has never seen a rate rise, you know, and you know, they're 35 years and, 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 and younger and they've just, everything's been cheap, free money. With ridiculous valuations, and now all of a sudden we're in a we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a very very different world than the one that you know that you and I grow up in. And one of the points that I make is I've I've had some twists and turns along the the route uh, along my career. I think that staring into the abyss really changes your perspective. If everything's always been rosy and everything's always on an upward trajectory that's nice and you know very few people actually experience that but i've had some unbelievable twists and turns across a 40-year career and you know the ability to stare at the abyss the ability to shake it off to figure out how you're going to function when something radically changes makes for better business people down the line because i think there's a more holistic approach and you know everything is not a bed of roses in business and i think you know that as well
1: Notice that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values. Everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and, in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in, this will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com/book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com/book. And now back to the show. You know, as I've gotten to know you, I, I, you
3: mentioned you're a mentor. I know you're. mentioned I mentioned you are a professor. And so the couple of things when I would describe you when I kind of think about it, I say, you know, that people don't trust the government anymore. They don't trust the media anymore. They don't trust each other anymore. And so there are so many people out there with blasting you like a fire hose, all the products and services they have to sell. And the shift that I've seen as we've gotten to know each other is that you and your people are more educating people and bringing value to those people where they're looking for information as opposed to trying to sell them something you sort of become the authority on that on on that that topic, and the other thing I love about teaching, I just assume. So I'm I'm assuming this. I'd love to hear you comment on that. Is I think if you really want to go really deep with a subject, the best way to do that is to teach it to somebody else. And so, in in essence, as successful as you've been, in, in many ways, I think a lot of what you're doing is you're almost a teacher and a mentor at heart.
0: Uh, yeah, I've I've been involved with a number of thanks for. Pointing that out, I've been involved in a number of mentoring organizations. Uh, one out of New York called America Needs You, which I was on the board of, and both in in New York and and in Chicago. And I was the chairman in Chicago. Uh, and that was an organization that helped underprivileged uh, first generation college students to get a 25 year old mentor like you or me uh, during their sophomore and junior years uh, of college. Um, and uh, also involved with something you know like like that um, in Chicago now that is a national organization that helps you know same sort of population of kids to get uh, internships, career bridge, etc. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I would say is uh, you know I I because of the pivots along the way of my career, I actually grew up after being a lawyer in a in an operational role. So I I, I literally was the you know, right hand to a, an amazing entrepreneur. And my whole thing was, if he dreamed it, I made it happen. And that meant that, you know, I had to make the trains run on time. So I literally had to understand every job, I actually basically did every job did manage and hired every job in a, you know, vertically integrated, fast growing um, real estate development company. And Uh, I was always more of the operator and less of the entrepreneur. And then um, after the world ended in real estate about 12 years ago, 10, 12, 15 years ago, uh, in 2008, 2009, I had a fundamental switch in my career to being in business development and transaction management. You know, I've since melded all three together. But one of the things I would say, and I think that you're probably, you know, in the same boat is... The key to success, as far as my business development, was that I knew what I was talking about operationally, that I could have that conversation with an owner and anticipate a legal issue or anticipate a financing issue or whatever it might have been because I've had the perspective of being a lawyer, being a borrower, being a lender, being a landlord, being a tenant, doing all the different things along the way and bringing that you know 360-degree Matter of fact, like, hey, if you read that lease, you will find this, you should be aware that you will do that. And I think that, you know, if you if you one of the things I bring up in my, my networking and business development class is, you know, there's a spectrum of, um, you know, Folks that really know what they're talking about. And I certainly put you in that category. And then if you go to the movie Groundhog Day, you go to Ned Ryerson. Um, <laughs> and, and there's Ned Ryerson who is trying to sell you insurance up and down just because that's all he knows. And, you know, he's more of a pure salesman as opposed to an expert who is, you know, a thoughtful advisor. And by being a thoughtful advisor and a trusted advisor, the door to business development opens, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you're making sausage, I mean, you've made it, you've sold it, you bought it. I guess that's what I mean. When you're dealing with entrepreneurs, especially at that wealth level, the most important thing is they've got to trust you. So that 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 probably is your differentiator in terms of of giving you a leg up in terms of getting trust of those folks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that I'm coming at things as you know wearing simultaneously a number of hats. One is as an investor. Two is as a board member advisor three is as a mentor. Um, And then four is just, you know, a mature business person who's been around the block on just a a range of legal and business issues in good times and bad. And I don't have all the answers, but having those multiple perspectives really builds credibility, builds trust. Um, And then obviously, you have to execute against all those things. And you know, you can be a lot of words. But if you don't if you don't produce for the clients then then you know you know what happens but you know again I've, it's it's taken me a long long time to grow from lawyer to operations person to business development person to i'm not going to call myself a renaissance person but i you know i i i know enough about enough to be able to have intelligent conversations and if i don't i'm one phone call away from someone who is
3: you know one of the one of the things i uh, i've got I've got perspective is I've got five kids between sixteen and twenty four. You know, I always try to encourage them to don't tell me, show me what you're going to do, meaning just just go do it, you know, <laughs> as opposed to talk about it a lot. let's not have a press conference about what you're going to do. Just <laughs> let's execute. And um it's interesting when I talk to their friends and other folks, there's a group that you know, they have no real plan. They just want to be rich. And then there's another group of people. That actually are embarrassed about wealth, and they think uh, that uh, uh, there's some embarrassment that should come from the wealth that they've created. Where when you and I grew up, because we're the same age, when you and I grew up, th- those people that worked hard and got ahead and created and were and created things and jobs for people and and an opportunity, they were the people that were the most revered. And now we've got a segment of our population where I'd almost say entrepreneurs are under attack. What 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 do you find out there?
0: Um. I, I think that i think that that is fair it's just interesting and again i don't want to get into a into a political discussion but i just look around the room um in, in a in a tiger meeting. i just had two tiger meetings last week with you know combined 18 individuals with the, the large network that i talked about and you know like if you think about what they've created just just in terms of you know put aside the money but just like the thousands of jobs that they've created, the, the, you know, the, the immense amount of commerce, you know, with all their different suppliers and vendors and all this other stuff that, you know, it's not for good or for bad. I'm a big believer in capitalism. I know you are. Um, We both benefit from capitalism and, you know, quote unquote, the American way, you know, with, again, with putting aside how much people should be taxed and, you know, should how how do you work those all those sorts of systems that's to me that's a different question but just like entrepreneurs are the engine of our economy and we are blessed to have safe borders access to capital you know good relations with you know a lot of the you know capitalist world you know we're, we're we are blessed to have had the opportunity you know obviously wish more people had the same sorts of opportunity. And just, you know, again, this morning, talking to a couple different startups and, you know, some of the statistics around uh, minority representation in venture capital and private equity and, and law and all these other things. And, you know, I I, I do think that it's, it's becoming more of a recognized uh, phenomenon where money is starting to, it's not pouring in, but money is coming in to support women and minority uh, owned businesses like right now i'm i'm uh, i'm investing in in one firm that you and i have talked about and really the focus is there to uh enhance the 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 standing and the chances of success for women in the workplace and that's a that's a very significant need in society so i think um as as you know i'll call it capitalism matures you know hopefully the playing field is is opening up so that more people that don't look like you and me have the kind of opportunities to become Tiger members um, and to have the kind of success that a lot of people that you and I spend a lot of time with. And some of those advantages hopefully can um, be more evenly distributed and some of the capital can be more evenly distributed as time goes by.
3: You know, I, 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 um... Uh, mentored uh, one, one of the great experiences of my life, and this goes back oh probably 15 years, where I I, I mentored uh, four women that were uh, they were CPAs and a that, uh, and on their way to be partners in a big four accounting firm. Uh, three of them are, are are partners there. One now runs a, was the CFO for another company. What one of the things we talked about was you have to have a choice. You either either have to be empowered or you can be a victim. You can't be both. You have to pick one. <laughs> And I always chose the empowered one or they chose empowered. And um I think that it's a combination of opportunity and a mindset that people believe they can succeed. You know, with having two daughters, I think that's something that's uh, you know, top of mind for me. And I and I believe we should be a country where everybody has the opportunity. I think uh, you know, being political again, I think Martin Luther King had it right. You know, everybody should be judged uh, based on the content of their character. And right. uh and, and everybody should be given an opportunity to to uh to succeed. But then I think it's also up to people to then go go succeed. I agree. I mean, but I'd I say one of the, you know, one of the challenges that
0: I'm seeing now, um, I can see the barriers to entry are so darn high. And as an example, I have an ongoing relationship with Northwestern and their JD MBA program. And I've had a series of mentees um, who are individuals who are between their first and second year at Northwestern. And my two most recent ones are just about to graduate. Actually, I need to send them a, a note to congratulate them. And they're both earnest, hardworking, probably spent four or five years in the work, in the workplace uh, before matriculating at Northwestern. And now they're going off to you know, nice, very high paying jobs. But at the cost of an average, in their case, of $325,000 in debt uh, for just, basically just law school and business school. And in a lot of cases, that is just not even in the realm of possibility. And, you know, I, I worry about, the, you know, that those sorts of inequities because that just sort of keeps the system alive and keeps the privileged few, you know, with access and, oh, yeah, I'll send my kids to Harvard. I'll just dad will pay for it versus, you know, a lot of people who don't have, uh, you know, a rich father, rich mother, you know, access to resources. and. In the absence of scholarships and a significant amount of financial aid, don't have those same sorts of opportunities. So that that uh, that's a troublesome barrier to entry that is all around us.
3: Are entrepreneurs born or are they made? You certainly work with enough of them.
0: Um, that's a great question. and um, I, I think it's a it's a it's a bit of both. Um, you know, nature nurture kind of discussion. You know just thinking around and just being around um Tiger, not only you know several of the chairs, uh, my position uh, are former members as well. and you know, so great community from the management to the chairs to 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 the various uh, members. you know, I think that there's a willingness to take risk is really. And I'm not sure if that's a gene or that's something that's learned. I guess if I had to vote, I would say it's it's more of a gene. But, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of people that just kind of like, hey, here's my life and I don't want to take too much risk and I'm not going to put it on the table, etc. And I, I think, you know, just knowing a number of really successful entrepreneurs who have seen like really dark days. And, you know, it, it, the thing is, like, people look at something like Tiger 21 and think that everything's a bed of roses because you have, a, you have accumulated a particular amount of wealth. The, the fact of the matter is, you know, just like everyone else in the other population, family members get cancer or or other diseases, you know, special needs children, you know, challenges within business, um, you know, having, you know, either equity or debt cut off. And it's like, There's very few stories that are like, "Hey, I was born. I took this chance. I made a trillion dollars. Everything's rosy." There's so many lumps and bumps along the way, but I think you know the besides the risk loving, risk taking, uh, and discipline um, genes that might be out there, um, there's also just just a practical being able to listen, being able to craft a course, being able to have that strategic vision. Of of where you can go or what the opportunity so there's an opportunistic uh, strain to it as well, Um, and it 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 is unique. It's just like you know there's a reason why you know a a very small percentage of the population has accumulated this much, and they've you know in in, in most cases they've taken huge risks uh, along the way that most most people can't, won't, or
3: don't. I've been reading some books about some various entrepreneurs and. Uh, you know, I I love to read. I love to acquire information. And they were talking about the uh, Jerry Seinfeld was, I was reading something Jerry Seinfeld wrote. It was actually an interview he did with Howard Stern of all people. And he was talking about that, how he could never be fully present for his wife and his kids because he's always thinking about writing jokes. (laughs) He's every, every situation. And he said, he's tried his whole life and he can never be fully, fully present because he's obsessed. And I keep wondering you know, if there, there's wealth in life, there's health, there's purpose, and there's love. Can you get all four of those? Not that one or two are out of balance and you get them out of balance. Do you think you can have it all? Or do you think Jerry Seinfeld is right for him to be at the very top of his game? He, he had to be obsessed with, and he still is obsessed with writing jokes.
0: So, it's, so two things. One is so I've, I've read some, I'm a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld. I guess he'd be a hero of mine as well. I've seen him in person several times. And I read a book. About him, in or just the, the Thursday night, you know, called Must See TV. You're right. old enough to remember all that. And there was a long chapter about how he turned down to I think they did 11 seasons, they did it in nine or 11 seasons. And he had just habitually, just, you know, sort of without an agent, just renewed. And he was, he ultimately made hundreds of millions of dollars from this, as did Larry David. But um, once Larry David left um, after, say, the ninth season, they sat down with him, the folks from GE and said, like, OK, you ready for the next year. And he said no. And they were shocked. And it went, you know, kind of all the way up the chain to the CEO to Jack Welch. And they're like, you know, he was the anchor of the of the whole Thursday night at that point. And in effect, they offered him on top of very good pay package. They offered him, I think, something like in the neighborhood of 100 million dollars to stay for one more year. And he looked around and he saw that he was writing, starring, producing, directing, all this other stuff without Larry David, um, and that his friends were getting married and having kids and, you know, sort of, and he made the decision, which uh, doesn't matter because he's super wealthy as it is, to turn down, and they're still astonished that he turned down $100 million so that he could start that life of not paying attention to his family. Um, and, you know, so now I think he's, he's got more, you know, I think balance in his life and I guess the wheels are always going. But one of the things, and then actually I could pull a book. There's a book uh, that one of my mentors and a guy named Harry Kramer wrote called Your 168. Um, which you know, actually, he was a speaker in one of my tiger groups. And what, what do you, do you have a sense of what 168
3: is as as a number? Well, uh, I, I know it's the number of hours in a in a week, right? Twenty four times seven. Very yeah,
0: that, that's Harry's quiz question. I guess I was the only one who got it in the room. But yeah, it's 168 hours. And how are you going to make the most of those 168 hours, knowing that you have to sleep? You are going to work, you're going to have family time, you're going to have, if it's applicable, religious time, you're going to have fun time, you're going to have exercise time. And one of the things, one of the disciplines that I've that inherited, but embraced since reading that book and getting Harry's missives, you know, every week, you know, on an email is critically evaluating that. And, you know, I've I've struggled my whole life um, with, you know, that balance question, and I'm working hard to, as, as I mature and you know, kind of get to the end of my career, to make sure that I am there, I am present, um, spending the time with my wife, my children, my friends, et cetera. I think the answer is yes, but it takes hard work. And I think certainly for entrepreneurs who are super driven and always looking around the corner for the next opportunity, especially in a service business like the one I have, uh, that you know it it's that there needs to be that internal you know it's like an animal house with the the angel and the devil on your on your shoulder like i'll i'll leave that cussing out of it but just you know to to regulate yourself so that you are um serving all those different masters
3: you know i i learned this question from my fiance lisa who's a who's a you know worldwide speaker herself but uh you know when i, I always talk to my uh my younger partners i always say to them you know, what are you willing to do that you're not doing now to have what you don't have? And, uh, you know, that, that, that ultimately they you know, you know, ultimately I think that entrepreneurs are willing to go do that. And the non-entrepreneurs are only willing to go some far and it's not, sometimes it's for a good cause and sometimes it's just because they don't have the ability to, to make it happen. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons, but I think it's a choice. You know, David, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the time that you've, uh, you know, I know how busy you are so i appreciate you taking the time out of your day and i think people l- learned an awful lot about this but if people want to talk to you about mead Co or they want to talk to you about lecturing or they want to talk to you about uh, tiger 21 how do people get a hold of you well we can uh, uh
0: my my main uh email address is uh david at mead connect which is m-e-a-d-e connect.com and you know people ask me what mead is and it's an eponymous name that stands for Marcy, Ellen, Alex, David, Ethan. So my my family <laughs> members. Um, and uh, I'm, I can also be reached for Tiger purposes at david.kirchenbaum, no C, at tiger21chair.com. So those are the the main ways of reaching me. And uh, I guess my cell phone or text 847-421-6260. And uh, I want to thank you and your crack team you guys have done a, a, an amazing job of both preparing and you know i know you and i had a, a chat and um i think that this is a very wholesome conversation and just like you know and i knew it would be it's like you know kind of like two old friends sitting in a bar but with no <laughs> drinks um and we had a really nice meeting in new york a couple of weeks back and uh, i'm really really grateful that we did get introduced and that we have a you know long-term a uh, series of collaborations in Tiger Twenty One and Meetco with your business, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, this is the first of not necessarily many podcasts, but many ways that we can just add value to each other. And you know, I'm a big believer. Uh, one of the other books that I would mention uh, that I'm a big believer in is uh, Adam Grant, who's a professor at uh, uh, Wharton, wrote a book called Give and Take. And you know, the, basically the punchline there is givers. And I know you are I, I try to be givers win um and I've you know literally made a career out of out of helping people and you know now you know sometimes there's a fee involved um but I've helped a lot of people over time with shop searches with advice etc and I think that there's definitely a, a a positive karma that comes around
3: I think it's okay to do well by doing good uh or if you're from uh, Brooklyn it's do you're it's okay to do good by doing good yeah i i agree with you and i'm i'm excited about uh, the future i you know i think that i think the the one thing one of many things i think we have in common is when you want to re- be really good at something and, and work with people who want to be really good at something you always want to be better tomorrow than you are today you know it's not about chasing money or it's not just about glory or other things it's about how can i be a little better to, today than i was yesterday and uh, and and I I sense that in in not only the people we work with but I sense that that sense that in each of us and that's why it's so, so much fun and that's why I think we're having so much fun working together.
0: And I would add there to that it's also important um, you know and I and I think I am very careful both in terms of procuring a Tiger Twenty One group as an example but also procuring a network of counterparties and stuff like that where. You know, you want to spend time with people that are good people that are you know think along the same lines, act along the same lines, are giving in nature, are I'll say menshy in nature, um, who look out for other people, look out for other you know opportunities for their friends and you know and and folks in their network. And I think you know, again, I I think that we we're, we're we're buddies in this regard that we have a very similar outlook. And I am literally trying to surround myself by super networkers like yourself who are successful, thoughtful, and not just thinking of yourself all the time, but thinking of how you can help others, how you can help grow others' businesses and access to capital and those sorts of things. And then ultimately, it boils back to you know people then need you to, to, to manage their riches. And, and I know you do a really good job of it. And uh, you're, you're where you're sitting and, and a possible Tiger member for a, a, a reason. And, and, and the reason is you are who you are.
3: Well, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, David Kirschenbaum. Thank you, David. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California insurance license number 0B36048. Arkansas insurance license number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.